0: Hey, Access Ninjas, Jonathan here. You're about to listen to part two of our interview with Austin Seraphim. If you didn't catch part one, be sure to check it out first at access.ninja. In part two, we continue our discussion by talking about what developers can do to ensure that their products are accessible. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Access Ninja, episode five, part two of our interview with Austin Seraphim accessibility consultant, and software developer. What's some of the more common things that developers either forget or kind of break in updates that you that you run into that you think people should be aware of?
1: Um, yeah, button labeling is a big one, and it's an easy one to fix. You just have to set the accessibility label, as I said. Um, if you're using your standard controls and you're labeling things, then you're pretty good. And inf- that's um, fortunately true for a lot of apps. They're pretty much accessible. They might have a, little, a few minor things. But if you're using your standard controls and you're labeling them, then you're good. The problems start when you start doing custom things, when you start you know, making your own custom button instead of using Apple's button. Then you have to ma- take steps to make sure that it's a button. You have to set the accessibility trait to button, and things like that, um, which my tests will tell you.
0: I I ran into this actually we were working I this was not an app that's in the app store but I was just working on something through a class mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to get a label to look a very specific way so I decided to make my own custom label mm-hmm. and not not only did I lose accessibility but I also lost a whole bunch of other features that usually come along when you do a standard one mm-hmm. and I can see why somebody who maybe is not an experienced developer, or doesn't understand exactly what happens when they start making a custom element, would just break it and have no idea, push it out there and put somebody out yep. who uh, who previously had been enjoying that app.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Things like that, right? Any custom elements uh, like that are a big problem. And uh, another big thing too is web views. A lot of apps, um, you know, try to take the easy way out, you know, and use a web view or you know, some big corporation or something was like, here's your app, here's a, just a web view that's loading a web page, you know, there's your app.
2: <laughs> it's like, why bother?
0: <laughs> I actually met the, the developers back when I was at Pacer, and they had this app that's got these uh, social stories. And so it's just text on the screen that you can flip through. But they used, I no idea why, they rendered the text as a web view, and the web view was actually loading a PDF, but that PDF was an image PDF. Oh, no! It was, so, oh. the most ridiculous implementation, oh. and, and oh. just almost comically inaccessible.
1: Yes, comically inaccessible would be how I would describe that. Oh man, and that's that's a great example. And it's just like you know, you could have just implemented that with Apple's things, you know, in a scroll view or whatever. And be-
0: the funny thing is, I feel like that type of implementation proves they must not have any real experience in iOS development because they're doing this. is just a, a clunky way of doing it.
1: Clearly, yeah, yeah, it's probably a web person. You're right that was forced to write it or something. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, Austin and I we collaborate a lot in consulting and. You know, what? wouldn't you say, Austin, that what we find often is that people don't know even how to choose their developers, and sometimes they ask for accessibility, and people say, yeah, 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 but, you know, they don't even have a way to test if that person really knows what they're doing.
1: Yeah, that's true, too. You're right. You'll see apps that say they're accessible or sites that say they're accessible, or programs that say they're accessible, Macromedia Flash, for instance.
2: Or, or they, or for example, well, and I, let's not point names here, but um, but I will do it anyway. Um, how about Twitterific? Like they're splashing all over their website that Twitterific is accessible, but their iOS Twitterific is accessible. Their Mac app is not accessible.
1: Oh, interesting. I haven't tried their Mac app. I use Twitterific for iOS.
2: Well, and then I do too, but then I went and I bought the Mac because I was like, great, so now they're going to sync. Well, you can't. I mean, it's not too bad if I could pass, I could press the button in the front, and then I would be able to actually access the rest of the app. But the only Mac app right now, which you put me into for uh, Twitter, is really Yurufi
1: and the official Twitter app is that way, too, Interesting, You know, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> the, the, the iOS Twitter app is pretty accessible, and the Mac is completely not accessible.
2: It's because there's still that myth that blind people use iPhones, but blind people don't use Macs. And if you're, if you're using accessibility as your marketing tool for your iOS, then why aren't you paying attention to your Mac development?
1: That's a great point. It's a great point. It's the point I made with Nest also, and their app was inaccessible for a short time. The thermostat, because I have one of them. And I actually just wrote my own little command line tool in Ruby to control my Nest because I got bored of the app. But it's a little better now. But for a while, it was inaccessible. And that was my point to them. I said, look, you know, these guys are supposed to be like an Apple company. We're marketing our, You know, and I'm like, you know, Apple is known for its accessibility. So if you're going to say that you're an Apple-like company, you got a first-class accessibility.
2: Yes, that's right.
0: Well, hopefully for Yosemite, I know that, you know, there's a major overhaul improvement in the accessibility API for Yosemite. I'm hoping that that's going to mean that uh, Mm. the whole idea was I was watching one of the uh, developer conference sessions on it.
1: Yes. Yeah. The WWDC. Yeah, I saw that. Mm -hmm.
0: And they have one, and, and they were talking about how they're simplifying the accessibility API in yes. order to try to encourage developers to uh, utilize it more. Yeah,
1: yeah, I saw that. That's very cool. And it's kind of like what I do in uh, iOS, how, from what I understand, it'll actually tell you the things that you have to do to make your button or label or view or whatever accessible. So they, uh, I'm really glad they're doing that, and I hope more developers will, because, yeah, we use Macs. We love our Macs.
2: Yes, we love our Macs.
0: So we just spent a little time talking about <laughs> some some apps or some experiences that were maybe not great. But are there what apps do you do you really love? That like what are your like top couple apps on your iPhone right now?
1: Yeah, Twitterific, ironically, is one that I use a bunch. Um, let's see what other cool apps have I been running.
0: And, and, I, and I don't mean just in regards to accessibility, just like do you have any favorite apps that you like to use?
1: Is Grubhub the food delivery app? Because one of their updates broke accessibility and a bunch of us yelled about it and they immediately fixed it and apologized profusely in their change log. So that was nice. Uh, yeah, Grubhub is good.
0: Oh, that is nice. I've heard some good things about Grubhub.
1: The Uber app is pretty good. A lot of blind people are playing Dice World. Some people have sucked me into that.
0: I take it as a dice base game in some way. It's just like different dice games.
1: It's pretty accessible.
0: Like Yahtzee?
1: Yes, yes. Yahtzee is one of them. Yeah, yeah. They're just dice games. Oh, Blind Square, of course, the GPS app. I like that a lot. I'm a beta tester for Blind Square.
0: So, what is uh, Blind Square then?
1: It's a GPS app and it taps into Foursquare it uses open street maps and it uses foursquare so it'll give you it uses foursquare to tell you what places are around you so it's crowdsourced and so it gives you that sense of what's around you and uh it's really helpful and it has all the standard it you know it'll list streets as you're going over them it'll tell you what streets you're crossing and things like that and mm-hmm. you can look around and explore intersections and do all that standard stuff it's a good app
2: allston got me totally hooked to blind square and
1: I like how it, you just have to purchase it once, and that's it. There's nothing else. no subscriptions or anything.
0: have you uh, Have you heard about this uh, CapMac user group in I think it's Austin, Texas?: No. Uh, they, they've been trying to push um, businesses to um, at least create V cards right now at the very least that use the GPS location of their front door. Oh, yeah. So, because most of the, you know, when you do like a normal map search and they're pulling data from Google or Yelp, you get, you end up, the GPS location is like in the parking yeah. lot or in the center of the building. It's not actually where the entrance is. And so they've been doing, they're doing it in, I believe it's in Austin, Texas. I might have to make a correction, uh, but I know they're in Texas and they've been, um, They've been doing something they call geo These and they've got 250 locations. They're trying to add more and more, and they're trying to partner with businesses. And That the entire purpose is is for them to uh, geotag the front door. So if you are using a navigation uh, and you're trying to find, find the actual entrance to a building, you'll get to the right location, or at least rough to the left location, because I know that GPS, you know I not is not always yeah, perfect. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you're exactly right, and it'll bounce around. It'll get you close, but it usually won't get you right to the front door, and that's a big reason. You're right, probably, because the GPS coordinate uh, is a bit off
0: i'm hoping it picks up i'm hoping that because right now they've been doing it in V vcard so the businesses i think they can create a V card that people can download but i'm hoping that this will pick up and this will start moving its way into apple maps and google maps as a, for businesses to be able to manually enter their actual front door
2: it's a
1: great idea yeah that's a great
2: feature yeah and i hope they do it for all the doors because i actually jonathan got me into that uh that program i mean that project and mm. i think it's uh you know really amazing because it could help not just us blind people but everyone
1: oh yes yeah and a lot of times that's true accessibility helps everyone it means a better product
0: yeah that's sort of the mantra that rachel i've been trying to push with this podcast and and in general is that i mean obviously having the location i would love for that location that would help me out a lot when i'm driving and trying to stop i mean it's it's Mm -hmm. literally most of these Accessibility things—you end up with a better product for all users, or a broader user than even the one you are targeting.
1: So true. I'm also really excited about uh, Bluetooth LE. I think Bluetooth LE iBeacons.
0: Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> Jonathan is too. Oh <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I think iBeacons are really cool. I think uh, it's an area that's wide open for development and for exploration.
0: I'm really hoping that iBegins will give us, like, really good indoor navigation. Yep. I think that would be just great. Very
1: good.
0: So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I know they've got some, there's some interesting patents I know Apple has as far as uh, doing navigation indoors when, when GPS signals are not available. So. But, you know, we don't know how long or if any of that's going to come to become actual features.
1: Oh, another great app is TapTapSee. I knew I was forgetting another good one. Tap, tap see the image recognition app yeah
0: oh yeah yeah that's uh, that's a that's a good one I remember I remember back when it was first out when it was fr- when it was free entirely um, uh, I was like this can't last this is too great uh, and now they give you what's like 10 free images so you take a picture of something and within seconds get a description of it back
2: I loved. I love one time we were at work and, uh, you know, I think John and I was demonstrating and I think he put the thumbs up and smile, and the picture said, "Men" and described his t-shirt with a thumbs up and smiling.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's really cool because it's, it's using uh, humans. Yeah, that's cool. And they have another one called CamFind and there's also an API that developers can use that they can pay for. They want to put that capability into their own apps.
0: Oh, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is.
0: All right. Well, I've got another question for you, um, or just in general. There's, we're hoping that we're going to have a good amount of developers and designers, you know, listening. Um, and we've talked a lot about some of the uh, importance of accessibility, but. I don't know if you've got any, like, a message or something for developers um, uh, that they should keep in mind when they're developing a new app um, and when they should start thinking about accessibility, for example, in the development process. What Mm -hmm. what type of advice would you give to someone who's starting in development and is thinking about accessibility?
1: That the earlier you start thinking about it, the better. Uh, Preferably at the beginning.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Preferably before you even think about it. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. It
1: should just be part of the process. I really feel like we have to start thinking of accessibility and universal design as just kind of part of the way we design. That's why
2: I love you both.
1: And if you're using standard elements, if you're writing an app or writing a web page or whatever, if you're using standard elements, then that's good. That helps with accessibility because the screen reader knows how to handle those standard elements. So many times there's just so much bad HTML, it really makes me angry sometimes. The web really bothers me at times. And there are times, and it's just like, just use the standard element. You know, if it's a form field, then use the standard form field. If it's a button, use a button. If it's a link, use a link. Don't do some stupid thing that you have to click with a mouse that's waiting for the mouse click event. That's not going to happen because I'm not using a mouse. Um, And that's some good advice for web people or desktop uh, applications. A cool way to test for accessibility without even using a screen reader is just try navigating with your keyboard that's a very easy way if you want to know if your website or your desktop program is accessible
0: and This is really important for your people like me i i you know I'm excited I can get around with the mouse, but when you make me take my hands off my keyboard, you're slowing me down you you are i don't like that I will change. Web pages or services or so forth, just because they might take my hand off the keyboard because keyboard navigation is quicker and more efficient. And so it's not just for a screen reader user. You're going to lose my business if you don't do that either.
1: Interesting. Sure. Of course, keyboard navigation is faster. It's why we've been using it.
2: And I would say, especially Mac users, you know, Mac power users don't use mouse that much.
1: Yeah. They have a lot of great keyboard shortcuts. You're right.
2: Well, Austin, you are a wealth of knowledge. And so we know you got that award for uh, commitment to access to culture. And that is super interesting. So we're probably going to have to do that in another podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we should talk about that. The Commitment to Cultural Accessibility Award from ArtReach. Um, Yeah, it's something I got involved in last year just totally randomly by chance. Um, the Touch Tour program at the University of Pennsylvania here. Uh, We have a really awesome Touch Tour program. Uh, We've been doing ancient Egypt, so we've been touching 4,000-year-old statues and reading carved hieroglyphs, which is my favorite part, and uh, just all this amazing stuff and making discoveries that the people working there hadn't even known because no one's been able to touch this stuff. And for the first time, we are, and we're finding these things that making people just feel like, this is amazing. So again, it's, it helps everyone. And, um, you know, most museums only get a few blind people per year, and we got around 200, I believe. So it was a phenomenal success, and we're hoping to continue the program.
2: Well, you haven't taken me yet, so.
1: I know. It'd be awesome. We got to do that. You'll we'll have to come out here for a touch tour.
0: Well, I was telling Rachel before we, before we began that my wife and I were um, visiting um, the mm-hmm. memorial at Pearl Harbor. And they have these big, um, well, big, these scale models of some of the ships of, of, that were that were destroyed in, in the attack. And they're, you know, they're big and they're behind glass. And then uh, right in front of it is a, a smaller miniature that is, it's, it was made out of some sort of metal. and It was outside the glass and you could touch it, was the idea. And there's something, there's this emotional connection to when I touched it and when I felt it that I was able to get by having that be an option having that be something I could touch and feel and it was a much more intimate uh, experience and so I would be these sort of touch experiences are interested even to me
2: hey we could start a podcast about that we could say be more intimate bring more access <laughs>
1: Well, like we say, seeing is believing, but touching is knowing.
2: Ooh, I never heard that. Seeing is believing and touching is knowing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's our slogan. And when you touch something, you really do. When you touched one of those old statues, it is like going back in time. It's another exciting area that I think is wide open. Um, and accessibility is starting to become mainstream. I think in general it's really exciting to be a part of right now all uh, areas of accessibility and um Cultural accessibility, man, yeah. Uh, so many museums um, could do something. And it's starting to become more possible, again, because of these devices, you know, that everyone or a lot of people have an iPhone or whatever their device of choice is when they go into museum anyway. So let's just leverage that, for instance. So there's, there's a lot of really exciting stuff
0: um, to explore there. I was listening to Radio Lab this was a couple of weeks ago and uh, I was telling Rachel earlier that they were doing a discussion about this investigation into the death of this uh, the this skull that they had found that was sort of like close to the missing link and uh, they were studying the skull and trying to figure out what happened and they were describing about how they think that he that that this uh, this creature had died and what they did at the end was they 3d scanned the skull and then sent out the 3d they sent made the 3d uh graphic uh 3d file available for free and they sent it out to i believe some museums that that actually printed them out and people could come in and touch and and see the same thing that that or touch it and feel it and they were talking about how once you know the emotional impact but the idea of using a they of setting up and using a 3d printer to print something out so you can tactically experience it I mean, it's these sort of these cool stuff.
1: Yeah, 3D printing. That's another whole topic you guys should do on. 3D printing is cool. Yeah.
2: It is. and it, And I think there's so much potential in the 3D printing and the devices, you know, the smartphones. Because I remember back when I was in graduate school, I was doing a tactile map project before I joined the design school. I was in geography. And... I was trying mm-hmm. to find a GPS, you know, that would that I could program on and make it accessible, and that was, what, 2005, five six. I think the iPhone didn't have a voiceover yet. So I couldn't find it, you know, a way to do it that was affordable. And then, so I left that project because there was no enough funding mm-hmm. for me to develop that accessible GPS. And then um, I joined this other project in the design school that was with museum exhibits. And because my advisor was like a museum exhibit kind of guru. And, you know, we were also trying to find the same options to pair some kind of technology where people could come and participate more in the museums. Because, right, well, back then, the only thing we had was those cell phones, you know, that looking cell phones that they give you and they have a number. But it's like, how do you find the number? You know, you have to be with somebody. And a lot of times I'm traveling by myself. So what if I just want to go through the museum by myself? How do I find the number to see what I'm seeing or whatever? Right. Oh, that's it. Right, right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. they had those numbers. So yeah. then uh, what I did, was we started developing this whole mock-up for a touch exhibit pair up with a technology. But again we fell short with the technology and that's what those, you know, beacons, Bluetooth beacon now can can create a whole different way to to experience it.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a definite use case for the eye beacons. I think Apple even mentioned that in a WWDC talk this year.
2: Yeah. And then you know, then later was in the same thing with the indoor navigation, because uh, I think I told you Austin, I don't know if I told you Jonathan, but uh, one of my final projects in graduate school was creating this app called RouteMe. And what we were doing was indoor navigation because we went out and did some user research and we found out that the biggest problem with students on campus was that they couldn't find the doors or, like, the classrooms or offices they had to go to. So we started developing this indoor navigation app. We got everything ready, and it was only possible because of the level that the iPhone and some of the other smartphones were at. Otherwise, we would have never been able to design.
1: Yeah. It's incredible how uh, much the technology is... uh is advancing. It's amazing to me that a music collection for my trip, before I would have a whole bag of music and now it just fits on a little flash chip the size of my fingernail.
0: Well, Austin, I want to thank you for joining us today and definitely some some interesting things to think about. Uh, before we go, uh, I know you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but what's the best way for people to find you on the internet and Twitter, et cetera?
1: Uh, it's just my name, uh, austinseraphin.com and austinseraphin on Twitter.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Uh, for those of you listening, if you enjoyed this episode or you have any feedback in general, let us know at feedback at That's feedback at access.ninja for show notes and links to the things we talked about you can find all those on the website access.ninja thanks for joining us